Hi everyone, so this is the um, scenario accompanying the AF uh, knowledge video and podcast. Uh, there will be one um, image, which is a, an ECG, uh, that will be shared on the video. So for those of you listening on the podcast, uh, do try and take the opportunity to have a look later on in the video so you can see the ECG for yourself. Um, over to you, Rob. Okay, so the scenario is you're asked to attend to a 55-year-old patient in the emergency department with a background of hypertension who has presented complaining about palpitations. Here is the ECG. Uh, please describe uh, the ECG and how you would further uh, assess the patient. Okay, so this is an ECG um, with no clear P wave activity and a regularly irregular ventricular rhythm at a rate of uh, approximately 140 beats per minute. Um, so including this is a narrow, narrow complex, irregularly rhythm, irregularly rhythm, uh, irregularly irregular uh, tachycardia, a rate of 140, which is AF with rapid ventricular response. With regards to assessing this patient, um, first and foremost, given that he's uh, so tachycardic, I'd make sure that he was in a place of safety in A&E, so make sure that he wasn't in minors and that he was at least in majors or if not resus, uh, if, there were more if there were more concerns. Um, and I'd ask for a set of OBS and uh, um, a cardiac monitor at the very least. Uh, then I'd proceed to uh, taking a history, um, if he was able to give me one. And the most important things I'm looking for in a history are first of all, get your idea of the palpitations, when they came on, um, and the nature of the palpitations, whether they were sudden onset, uh, came on suddenly. And then also very importantly asking him whether he's had any of these similar palpitations in the past. Um, then I'll take a bit of a wider history, trying to think about triggers for this AF. So whether he's got any uh, infective triggers uh, or any other physiological triggers, uh, such as uh, uh, thyrotoxicosis um, or any symptoms of things such as that that could trigger AF. And then taking a bit more focus history, think that his uh, past medical history, I know he's got hypertension, what medication he's on, any uh, allergies to medications, and importantly, um, thinking about reversible risk factors, uh, if he's on, if he's recently had alcohol excess, and whether he take, takes any recreational drugs. Then examining him, um, the most important things when examining him was, A, obviously after seeing that he's insurably hemodynamically stable, or assessing for symptoms, uh, sorry, signs, of heart failure. So peripherally looking for signs of fluid overload um, and by assessing his uh, for any beetle edema and JDP and then listening for any uh, signs of pulmonary edema. And in the examination, I'm trying to also again, think about other causes for his AF. So any infective causes, thyrotoxicosis, and then finally listening to the heart to see if there's any uh, signs of heart failure. Um, and so that would be the bulk of my assessment and then I'd move on to bedside investigations, most important of which we have, which is probably an ECG, uh, as well as bloods, including uh, bloods, including a BMP uh, and inflammatory markers and TFTs. And really important here is a bedside echo um, to see A, whether he's in heart failure, and B, whether he has any signs of any underlying structural heart disease, which might influence my management. Okay, uh, so the patient describes palpitations that started this morning. He does not have any signs of heart failure. His observations are uh, oxygen saturations of 99% on room air, 
a blood pressure of 140 over 90, a heart rate of 140, and a respiratory rate of 16 breaths per minute. What are the various management options open to the patient at the moment? Could you describe them? Okay. So given he's a 55-year-old gentleman with hypertension, um, and he's had clear onset of symptoms within the last 24 hours, um, and no, assuming that there are no other uh, triggers for his AF, uh, and this hasn't happened before, the he has a wide variety of options open to him. Um, one could consider, uh, and given he's not um, signs of decompensated, decompensated heart failure, one could one could consider simple rate control. Um, but uh, given he's young, he'd probably react uh, fairly well to. Uh, rhythm control, and very importantly, given these onset symptoms within, was within the last 24 hours, it would be relatively safe from a stroke point of view to think about chemically or electrically cardioverting this patient. Uh, but that would have to be done with some form of anticoagulation on board. And ideally, uh, if we were going to electrically cardiovert this patient um, with a TOE as well, just to rule out any thrombus in the left atrial appendage. Um, and this is obviously anticoagulation would have to continue thereafter. Um, a, in any case, but B, because he has a chad task of one. Um, and the final thing I probably want to ask of him is just about bleeding risk factors as well, because that, I suppose, governs what we do in terms of giving him anticoagulation now, and therefore what we would do in terms of cardioverting him, um, because we may want to therefore only offer TOE-guided cardioversion to make sure he's got no clot if and anti relatively contraindicated. Okay. Could you talk to me about uh, potential pharmacological cardioverters that you're aware of that you could use in this case? Yeah. Uh, so in general, if he's got a structurally normal heart, uh, the options would be flecknine probably with a, uh, a beta blocker on board as well. Um, uh, or one could use amiodarone. The problem with the amiodarone is that it takes quite a long time to load the patient onto, uh, to fully load a patient on amiodarone um, and carrying on thereafter is you can't really use it as a pill in the pocket strategy. You kind of have to take it uh, quite long term and it has kind of have long term side effects with thyroid, lung um, and liver. So it's probably one best avoided in a quite youngish patient. Okay. So you see this patient in six months in the outpatient clinic after you started him on a beta blocker and flecainide. However, he's still getting frequent episodes of palpitations. Describe to me how you would further investigate these palpitations. So the first thing is, uh, again, try and take a, uh, a fairly wide approach to this and try and understand if there's anything else uh, that could be causing his palpitations. Uh, and again, keeping in mind, this may not necessarily be a BAF. Uh, so what could be causing the palpitations? Has it got an underlying endocrinological disorder that could be causing this that we haven't already picked up? Um, and thereafter, I want to get an idea for the frequency of the palpitations, which will help decide how I investigate them, and also whether they come on suddenly and stop suddenly, whether they come on gradually and then slowly wean off, and if there's any particular associated factors with them. Uh, the other things I'd like to get an idea of are just a general um, physical health. I know he has hypertension, but whether he's overweight, whether he takes much alcohol, uh, and think about, and that's just more to think about modifiable risk factors for uh, 
AF if this does turn out to be further recurrence of this AF, which is, sounds like it very well maybe. Um, and then the frequency of if his symptoms would probably help guide me as to what uh, rhythm monitoring I choose. Okay. So uh, the, the patient uh, reports that actually these symptoms are occurring once a week. They're lasting for roughly an hour. And a colleague of yours who saw the patient uh, earlier had organized a, an appropriate halter monitor, which has demonstrated clear episodes of atrial fibrillation with fast ventricular response occurring at the time that the patient reports symptoms. Um, so seemingly he has not responded well to current management. Um, what potential options could you uh, discuss with the patient to further, to further manage it? So I think, as I mentioned, the, the first of all, the lifestyle factors, so why he's got AF at a young age, are very important. So if he is overweight, if he does take lots of alcohol, um, those are things that we can definitely try and impact first uh, before offering him any further rhythm control strategy, um, just because it also will increase the likelihood of rhythm control, rhythm control strategy being uh, successful. Then the... I think one of the most important things here is that he's got Chad's basket one with AF. Uh, so I'd make sure that he's on long-term anticoagulation. Um, and the final thing is to get an echocardiogram, which will get, give you an idea for his LV function. Um, and if he has heart failure related to his AF, then that's a reason to uh, think about rhythm control strategy more urgently. Um, and also it will give you an indication as to his LA size, whether, whether he has any mitral bowel disease, which might help help me choose which uh, tough anticoagulation I can opt for in this patient. Uh, and then thereafter, given that he's quite young and he hasn't responded well to sopropanopinide, uh, I probably, if he is, if this is paroxysmal AF, I'd probably like to consider a rhythm control strategy. And it's not unreasonable, I think, in this case, to think about offering an ablation, ther ablation therapy, but I would definitely discuss this with my consultant uh, before offering to the patient. Okay, so you mentioned um, ablation therapy um, and your, the patient asks uh, a bit more about this. Could you describe um, the ablation therapy to the patient? Yeah. So I think ablation therapy is a procedure by which we try and reduce the likelihood of uh, the likelihood and frequency of AF recurring. Um, and the way we do it is we bring the patient in for a day procedure and we do the procedure uh, under general anaesthetic. So they'll be um, asleep, so to speak. Um, and then we would access the heart uh, using wires um, at the level of the groin. And we would put wires up into the heart to try and understand where the problem is coming from, and then um, try and uh, burn the inside of the heart to scar those areas. So those areas that are causing AF uh, are no longer uh, electrically triggering anymore. Um, and in terms of the benefits for the, of the procedure, the procedure say has a 60-70% success rate in, um, in, in treating the AF. So it's really important the patient realizes it's a fair there still is a fair chance of failure, but um, it is very successful in, in sim treating symptoms in paroxysmal AF, which is what this patient has. Um, and 
the other important thing is that given it's not 100% 100 successful, they will need to carry on taking down the calculation. Um, and then the last thing I was speaking to is the risks. So it's about 1% risk of serious complications of this procedure. And the risks are of uh, vascular complications at the level of the groin. Um, and, then, uh, and then problems with uh, any of the vessels in the abdomen. And then finally, damage to the heart, uh, the heart valves, uh, or stroke. Um, and particularly with the fact that we, you could cause a pericardial effusion. That's the one particular uh, complication we do worry about with AF patient. Uh, and so, yeah, that's straight to the patient and trying to come with the patient leaflet and the opportunity for them to ask questions as well. I know it's quite a lot to take in. Okay, um, that ends the scenario. Thank you very much. Great, thanks very much. <laughs>